0: Okay, y'all grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be in verse 1. Can I hand you that one? Yes, sir. Thanks, brother. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. I was going to try to tackle verses 1 and 2, but we just got to talk. We need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we come to you today and we ask that Uh, Lord, you would meet with us, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open your word to us, that you'd open our understanding to it. Uh, Lord, we want to hear from you. Uh, We don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to just nod our heads and give mental assent, just agree with the truth, but never uh, submit our own lives, submit ourselves to your truth. And so, Lord, we confess that we need you and believe that with you all things are possible. Lord, meet with us, have your way, be glorified, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, we put the notes online on the YouTube link, we've got a hard copy here, Um, but uh, in your notes, I put a chart that does a good job just kinda outlining the whole of the book. I can't remember where I stole this. If I had to guess, it, 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 I probably stole it from Pastor Shelby, but I don't know, it, it, it does a good job, so I put that there for your reference. Let's look at uh, chapter two, verse one. The Bible says, Thou therefore. Well, now we gotta ask ourselves, wherefore, therefore? Because we gotta pay attention when we're studying the Bible, right? When you see a word like therefore in Scripture, you have to stop and ask yourself what? What's it there for? Can we put the PowerPoint on the back? Thanks, guys. Uh, what's it there for? A word like therefore should bring you to a full stop. You gotta ask yourself, okay, therefore, wait, what was Paul just saying? What did the word of God just reveal? What content was just delivered that will, leave, that will lead to the point that's gonna follow? And so let's do a quick review, a quick summary of chapter one. In this second letter from Paul to Timothy, in chapter one, we saw five major, five divine directives just in one chapter. The first one was found in verse six. It says, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. It's a command to stir up the gift of God. The second directive was found in verse eight. Timothy and we likewise are not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. The third directive is also in verse eight. We're to be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel. The fourth directive, hold fast the form of sound words. And we saw that we have a form of sound words that we're to keep, that we're responsible over. We have a Bible that we can trust and we're responsible for its usage. And then the fifth directive is to keep the good thing, which was committed, right? It was committed to us. It was committed by the Holy Ghost. And so we're to guard, we're to... We're to give out, we're to steward the glorious gospel that's been committed to us. We have that responsibility. You know, we saw in chapter one that basically you have to decide what you're gonna do with the word of God, with the glorious gospel that's been committed to your trust. If you're a believer, if you're born again, that good news has been committed, right? The good news, the gospel of God's word, it's been committed to your trust. What are you gonna do with it? You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter one that it pleases God to use you. Uh, you're just like me, you're a weak, frail thing, and he wants to use you. That qualifies you so that he gets all the glory. He wants to use you to do a noble work so that you, like Onesiphorus, will find mercy at the judgment seat of Christ. Onesiphorus, if you want to be a little bit, you know, proper and, or, or snooty, either way, it's Onesiphorus but I've never heard anybody pronounce it that way. And so Onesiphorus, here's the deal about him. He never, not one time, I mean, he was not ashamed of the, of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a willing partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, and so he stirred up his gifting. He went and he found and he encouraged the apostle Paul. And so let's throw the verse up. You know, Paul's prayer closes out chapter one that Onesiphorus would find mercy of the Lord in that day. What day? Well, we looked at that. That day is a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. A Christian isn't looking for mercy for salvation. A Christian already has that. But we are looking for God's mercy in that we would be used of Him in gospel ministry, that we would be fruitful for Him, and that we would have fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. So all of that is why Paul says to Timothy, as a result, thou therefore right? But here's the other thing I want you to keep in the back of your mind. Remember, Paul knows that he's coming to the end. He knows that it's time for him to die. And he says as much in chapter four, verses seven and eight. He says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so here's the result. Verse eight, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at, and here it is again, that day. Here That day, again, is a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. We're not judged for our sin at the judgment seat of Christ, we're judged for our service. How was our life lived out as believers? And if we picked up our cross and we followed in Christ's footsteps, if we took on the fellowship of his suffering and we gave ourselves to learning, knowing, and investing the word of God into the lives of other people, but well, then there'll be fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. But if we as believers just build a life for ourselves in this world, I mean you can get super rich, you can get a lot of stuff, but at the end you can't take it with you. Uh, it is consumed in the judgment seat of Christ. Nothing of temporal value goes on into eternity and so uh, every work, how you lived your life, it's, 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 it's shown to be what sort of work, what sort of life is lived. Uh, If you go up one verse in chapter four, Paul says it plainly. He says, now I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So because of the magnitude of the mission, because Paul says, I'm getting ready to go, so therefore Timothy, just like Joshua before him, Timothy is to take Paul's mantle and Paul's place And so he has to follow Paul's example of enduring the sufferings that come with being a partaker of gospel ministry. And that's why Paul starts out chapter two with these words, thou therefore, my son, because of the stakes, right, the stakes of the ministry, because of the investment that I made in you, my son, here it is, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, That is a command, that's a directive, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, you can count it, I think, I don't know, this would be a good experiment. This week, just read through 2 Timothy chapter two and count how many directives are in chapter two. We saw five in chapter one. Uh, You will find, depending on one of them, you could go either way on, there will be 11 or 12 depending on how you count them, directives. See if you can can find them here in chapter two. I think you got a little wiggle room in terms of how you count. But the command here is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How do we be strong? I mean, Paul tells him to do it, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, in chapter one, we saw four things that we get in Christ Jesus. Just on one page on our Bible, I mean the big one, verse one, is life. There's life in Jesus. Uh, verse 13, we found the faith and love that is in Jesus. In verse nine, we see that there's a holy calling. Second Timothy one, verse nine, that says that Jesus saved us, and hath called us with an holy calling. It's not a calling to, according to what we can do. Right, not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We have a a holy calling that is according to God's purpose and grace that was given us in this person of Christ Jesus. So four things that we get when we get Jesus and now here in chapter two we see that we have grace in Christ Jesus and that's how it works. Once you have Jesus you have God's grace uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is the go-to passage for seeing how that works. You wanna know how grace works or how grace is accessed by the believer. Ephesians 2.8 says that we're by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how does a person get saved? Well, they believe on the gospel. Right, they exercise their faith and as a result, they now are enjoying, they're accessing, they're participating, they're a receiver of the grace of God. Uh, it's like, okay, it's like this. Um, you know, in, in all of our services, we've got people that are standing around the perimeter. You know, the hospitality team is, is standing around the perimeter watching and making sure somebody doesn't have a need. They're also watching you, like if you're gonna be a troublemaker, they're gonna call security. Um, they're just, they're, 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 they're here, they're in the service, but they're kinda working. And so here's Mitch back there in the back. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because the cool kid's sat in the back, but no, he's back there and he's watching. And uh, let's just say, right here, I've got, you see my chair? that's sitting right here. Does everybody see it? There's my chair right there. And, and I'm just sitting and I'm enjoying my leisure and I'm teaching you comfortably from my chair and I see Mitch back there. He's fidgeting, he's, squirt- he's been standing back there for a while and I'm like, Mitch, bro, come take a load off. And so here I am, I'm sitting on my chair and I'm like, just man, have a seat. And so he comes down and he has a seat and he takes the load off and he relaxes. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Have you watched the Peanuts? Have you seen the Peanuts cartoons or the comic strip? Lucy with the football? like most perfect type of antichrist in all of entertainment. She's like, oh, no, no, it's for reals this time, and so here's Charlie, okay, yeah. and then he does the old alley-oop, and now he's flat on his back. You can't trust Lucy. She's wicked. She's the demon in the Peanuts cartoon. Okay, so, why would Mitch come take a load off? Why would he just like, yeah, man, I, I, I could use a seed, I could use, a... okay, work with me, it's a dumb illustration. He would do it because he trusts me that I'll keep my word. What he would do is he would take me at my word and he would then commit himself to me in this way. Right, he would entrust himself to me. Is everybody with me on that? Sad, silly illustration, but absolutely points to the fact that you have to come to the place where you take God at his word. At some point, you had to believe the word of God that your sin was very serious. The wrong that you've committed, the wickedness that you have, you have perpetrated, it offends a holy and righteous God, and that the wages of that sin is death, and that death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. Our sin separates us from God for eternity, but then you had to, bro, if you're coming up here to have a seat on my lap, it's not gonna work, yeah. yeah. So that illustration's over, just, okay. Then you had to believe that God wasn't willing that you would perish, and that he sent his son to come and live the life that you could not live as the second Adam, so that he'd be qualified to take all of the sin of the first Adam, and that's the whole sin of humanity, past, present, and future. He takes it and nails it to his tree. You had to believe the gospel when it declares that when Christ died at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, the sin of the first Adam died with him. You had to believe that he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day because you recognized he needed to be your sin bearer. You needed to trust him. You needed to, you needed to trust your life to him. And so what you did is in repentance of sin, you called on Christ as your Lord and Savior. You called on him for forgiveness, you called on him for eternal life, and you received the Lord Jesus Christ. What did you do? You believed on him. See, as you exercise your faith in God, that's how you enjoy the grace of God. How does faith work? Well, the, again, our go-to verse there is Romans ten seventeen. The Bible says faith, if we're saved by grace through faith, how do we get faith? Well, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So get this down in your notes. It's as you believe on the word of God. That's faith in the word of God. As you believe on the word of God, well, you enjoy the grace of God. But know this, there's a danger of agreeing with the word of God. You can actually agree with the facts of God's word without without actually submitting your life to God's word. Is this making sense? You can actually agree with what is true but not be submitted to it not be dependent on it. I'll give you an example. James chapter two, verse 19. James says, "Thou believest, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well." But you know, here it is. The devils also believe. They actually know the exact same thing you know. They actually believe the exact same thing you believe. The devils also believe and tremble. Why? Well, they know that Jesus Christ is the Creator. But he's the redeemer, he's the savior, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. They know all of that. They're not just submitted to him as that. They believe and tremble. See, you can know what the word of God says but refuse to submit to it. Or if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know what the word of God says but refuse to live it. So the question on the floor is will the believer be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus or I mean, if one condition is you can be strong in grace, what are the options? If we say no to this, we're not gonna be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Well, what, what, what are the options biblically? Check out Galatians chapter two. There's a very real danger, because the flip side to being strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus is the trap of trying to be right with God based on your performance. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul says, I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's he describing here? We actually talked about this yesterday in our Matthew class as we were wrapping up Matthew in the Bible Institute. Uh, One of the things that we said is, look, when Jesus died, one of the things that happened, one of the things that had to take place is he took this, I mean, he's the only guy that's qualified to do it. You've got the, I mean, biblically, there's really only two people, right? If you're gonna understand in terms of the spiritual dynamic that's taking place, there's only Adam and Jesus. And you're either in Adam or you're in Jesus. Human, humanly speaking, we're all in Adam. He is the federal head, right? He is the, 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 the father of the human race, okay? Well, if you're in Adam, in Adam all die. But in Christ, all are made alive, okay? So you're in one of those two men. Only the second, the last Adam would be qualified to take upon himself the sins of the first Adam and that includes the whole of humanity, everything that any of us, ever did, ever are doing, ever will do wrong. He took all of that and Colossians chapter two says he nailed it to his tree. Christ bore our sin in his body and when his body was killed, our sin was killed that day. I mean, God deposited the sins of humanity into the death of Christ. Is everybody with me on that? Does that make sense? Okay, so he does that and when he raises to eternal life, now you have an option. You can believe on him as your sin bearer. You can cry out to him. You know, you pray to a corpse. A corpse can't do anything for you. You have to believe in your heart that Christ rose from the grave, that he was dead. He was, I mean, he died for your sin. He was buried and he rose from the grave because otherwise you're praying to a corpse and a corpse can't help you. All it can do is just lay there. So you cried out to a living savior in repentance of sin, you said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. And he did. Paul, you know, he's like, he read Romans 6. He actually was using the Holy Ghost to write it, but he's like, I read Romans 6. I know I am crucified with Christ. I know I'm dead with Christ. I know I'm risen with Christ. And so the life that I'm living, it's not me living it, it's Christ living it in me. So watch what he says as a result. Verse 21, he says, I do not, watch it now, frustrate the grace of God. Well how do we frustrate the grace of God? Many times when you have a question about something in the Bible, the answer is always found if you'll just keep reading. Right? So many times, like, well what does that mean? Keep reading, it'll explain it. I do not frustrate the grace of God, how? For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I can't make what's wrong in my relationship with God right myself. If I can fix it, then why did Christ die? I need the grace of God. I don't want to frustrate the grace of God by trying to take over the terms of salvation and through the works of righteousness that I can do, get saved or stay saved or keep my salvation. So get this down in your notes. Acceptance with God, biblically, It's not based on our performance, but rather on the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Did you get that? For me to be accepted with God, it's not based on what I do, right or wrong. It's based on what Christ did 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. In John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. One of the greatest statements in all of creation. It is finished. The work of dealing with man's sin completed in this moment. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. See, once you have Christ, once you have his grace, positionally, this is critical as a believer, you need to understand this, positionally, guess what? You are 100% right with God. And you didn't do anything. The only thing that you did was believe on the gospel. You confessed your sin and you called on the Lord, you called on the Lord Jesus Christ. All you did was believe, you exercised your faith. He did the rest. You didn't make you right with God. You didn't do anything right to get with God. Jesus made a way for you to be right with God at the cross of Calvary. Here's how it works. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that God made Jesus to be sin for us. He bore in his body our sin to the cross of Calvary. He committed, he knew no sin, why? It's the greatest trade in the history of creation where Jesus would take all of our sin upon himself and suffer God's wrath over it so that we could have all of God's righteousness in him. To trade all of my sin for all of his righteousness, that's a good deal, (laughs) that is a great trade that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me in terms of, I mean, the right, you know, biblically, I'm just telling you. Feast your eyes, look at me. Look, look, look at me, okay. I am the most righteous person you have ever seen. And it's not because I did one thing right. It's because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You gotta look at the believer closest to you. Feast your eyes. That is the most righteous person you have ever seen. They have been made the righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that, What a gift! How amazing that is that God makes you right with Himself. You can't change that. What you do or don't do cannot change that. But that doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, if you've been made right with God at the cross of Calvary, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're living right with God, does it? See, we got this, we got this dilemma. When you get saved, and this is what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter two, all right? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. When you get saved, there is a split in terms of who you are. Your soul is saved. You're made a new creature in Christ. Your life has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Who you are in the inner man, who you are in the new man, man, that's just incredible, but who you are in the flesh, that never changed. Your flesh is still under condemnation. It still has a sin nature. It is dead in sin And it can't know any other state. It's just like the rest of creation. It's groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. There is no good thing dwelling in your flesh. Okay, so, you know, the believer legitimately kind of has a schizophrenic, kind of a dual, dual, you know, multiple personality paradigm going. There's who you are in the flesh and there's who you are in Christ. And every day you make the decision, am I gonna do what I want or am I gonna do what, he wants. Am I gonna submit only to myself or am I gonna submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word? Get this down in your notes. When you got saved, God set you apart to himself. This is what it means to be made holy. Uh, You're separated to the Lord. You're holy unto the Lord. That is a positional reality and nothing can change that. When you get saved, God makes you holy. You're his and his alone. It's wonderful. You could mess up tomorrow big time and nothing can change that. It's a positional reality. But now you decide to live as God made you. Every day you make that decision. Will I live as God made me? See I can, we already saw in Galatians chapter two is I can end up frustrating the grace of God. So no longer am I identifying in Christ but I'm actually gonna identify in terms of myself doing what's right and end up frustrating the grace of God. Check out Hebrews chapter 12. So we can frustrate the grace of God, but you can also fail of the grace of God. Hebrews 12:15 says, be diligent. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Well, what does that look like? How does that work? How do you fail of the grace of God? How are we gonna find the answer? Keep reading. Here it is. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled." Man, this is the way this works, okay? You, you're going through life, you're just living your life, you're doing your thing, and somebody does you dirty, somebody does you rotten, and they don't treat you right, they don't keep a commitment, they don't communicate well, something, they, somehow they fail you, and now in your mind you're justified in reacting in a certain way. Okay, so let me illustrate it. It's like this. Let's say you're remodeling a room in your house. And um, again, I'm, I'm not knocking Home De- Depot here. But let's just say you go to Home Depot. And you buy a bunch of stuff at Home Depot. You get home. You bought one paintbrush. But you look at your bill and, and they rang it up three times. And you're like, ah, Home Depot ripped me off. They got me for, you know, 30 bucks. They just ripped me off. You're just kind of grumbling about it. Like those rich scumbags, they train their people to do that on purpose, you know? And so you're like, you're thinking about it. But then you got to go back and get some more paint and you got to get more masking tape and all of that. And so you ring that up and you get home, and sure enough, they did it again. They ripped you off. And then you got to make one last trip. You buy your stuff, you get home, and you look at your receipt, and you're like, well, they forgot to ring up those four things. They didn't charge me for those things. Now what do you do? Like, well, they kind of had it coming. You know, they sh- they should have been paying closer to. It. They should have been paying closer attention. Those people, all they ever do is rip me off. It's my turn. And then you feel justified taking their stuff. What happened? Oh because you were bitter against them, you justified in perpetrating against them. Do you see how that works? This happens all the time. You'll see somebody, they'll fall into immorality, it's because somehow God let them down, they're mad at God or they're mad at God's people, they're mad at the circumstances that God allowed them to go through and then when the opportunity presents itself because God and God's people or, or the circumstances that God let me be, that God made me go through, I'm now justified in satisfying my flesh. And you see that pattern repeat over and over and over again. You see it right here in Hebrews chapter 12. So again, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. There it is. God stole my birthright. Joseph's a thief, or Jacob's a thief, blah, 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 you know, and they're like, okay, well, I can, now, I can now enter into immoral relationships, and he's like, I don't mind if I do. A root of bitterness defiles many, why? Well, because we're not staying in the grace of God. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're succeeding in the grace of God, when you're actually enjoying the grace of God and you meet someone who disappoints you, they hurt you, they say something, they do something that somehow shorts you and you're enjoying the grace of God, you're like, man, that ain't nothing but a thing, chicken wing. No big deal. They just, Man, just the old, the old man, they just forgot to Make sure the old man was in the coffin. The old man was showing through a little bit. That's not who they really are. That's not who they are in Christ. Man, I know no man. I don't know anybody after the flesh. That's, just, uh, that's not really who they are. I know them. Uh, that's, uh, what are you do? You're just enjoying the grace of God. But whenever you perpetrate, and now I'm hurt, and I don't succeed, I fail of the grace of God, now I got bitterness in my heart, and oh man, what a mess it makes. So here in the example of Esau, and you see it in the lives of so many people who call themselves ministers, but they end up in immorality because they failed of the grace of God. You see an immoral believer failing of the grace, why? Why are they failing of the grace of God? We actually just looked at this in our study on Jude. Jude verse four says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, now watch this, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. You can warp the grace of God. Here the grace of God is turned into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see somebody who is an immoral believer, well they're immoral because God's grace isn't enough for them and so what they do is they explain away scripture, why the Bible doesn't apply to themselves and, and then they just go do what they wanted to in the flesh. They want a life of pleasure in the flesh. Do you see what's happening here? Positionally, the believer is right with God. They're made, literally, the righteousness of God in the person of Christ himself. It's incredible. Positionally, they're holy. They're sanctified. They're set apart to God. Nothing can change that. But then you decide if you're gonna live that. You decide, God made you right with him. Now you decide, are you gonna live that out? Are you gonna live right with God? So you can frustrate the grace of God, you can fail the grace of God, you can turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. This is why we must be strong in the, we gotta be strong in God's grace. So for point number three, can we just talk? Why do we gotta be so strong in the grace of God? Well, it's because the mission is so important. This is specifically needful for us at this point in the life and ministry of our church. God is using this local church to start a push across this planet that will show him strong. So that's why we need to be strong in the grace of God. We've got a work to do. I don't know if you've read chapter two yet, but it's always cool to read ahead. Look how God wants to use us. Look at chapter two with me. Look at all that God's requiring of us in this chapter. In, In verse two, we have to be good stewards. We need to teach the Bible to faithful men and women. In verse three, we have to be hard soldiers. Right, we gotta endure hardness as good soldiers. Why, because we're in a battle. There's a battle raging for lost souls. In verse five, we have to train because there's a race that we're supposed to be running. There's a course that we have to finish. In verse six, we need to nurture others that God might bring forth fruit in our lives that our fruit would remain. In verses 14 through 18, we need to be workmen that understand God's word. We have to know how it applies uh, to us in this day and age. In verses 19 through 23, we gotta be fit vessels of honor that the Lord can use to carry his word to a world that is lost and dying. In verses 24 and 26, we need to be servants who are willing to reach out and help those that are caught in Satan's snare. I mean, there's so much that God has in front of us and we can't do it in the power of our flesh. We have to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So are you saved this morning? Okay, I need a bunch of you to meet me down front at the conclusion of this service and I'll show you how you can be saved, how you can be born again and know that God's your father and that you have eternal life based on the word of God. Okay. So a lot of you need Jesus. Okay, but if, right, I'm just asking: Who's saved this morning? Who's born again? Who knows the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay. There is a work that has been entrusted to you. If you're saved, then you're qualified for God to use. You'll do. You will. You will work for this work, and for this noble task, you're going to have to have the grace of God. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled by its transforming power, making him God's dear child, purchasing peace in heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. You guys know what comes next, right? Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus. It's kind of like, Deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain rope. Okay, I told Eric in the last, it was bad in the first service too. We're gonna pull that one out of mothballs and and we're gonna sing it. Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than a mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions. And there have been so many, so many times that in terms of me living in the flesh, man, I have failed. I've been fearful, I've been a coward. I've lied, right? I've hidden, I've fronted, I've perpetrated. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame, oh magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. So not just that, we need to be strong. I mean we need the grace of God, but we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you understand strength? What do you do with strength? Talk amongst yourselves. See if you can figure out. What do you do with strength? Huh? Yeah, you use it. That's what you do with strength. Okay, my brother, he is into bodybuilding. Uh, He went from, I mean, his midlife crisis, uh, he just, you know, he woke up, Fat and old, and he just decided enough of that. And he, he, I mean, he is into the science of it the nutrition, and, and uh, just, I mean, the rest days and the workouts, all of it is just, com- I mean, it's computer analyzed. And I mean, he's all in. And the guy is turning, I'm mean, like, he's hulking out. He's turning into a freakazoid. I mean, he's just all muscled up and, you know, he's rolling. Okay. It's just very interesting to me. Since he's done that, since he started getting, um, what is it, since he's gotten swole, um, every time we get together, and I mean without exception, because now I'm watching, I'm just watching every time we get together, somewhere in the course of that conversation, somewhere in the course of our visit, he makes sure that the conversation leads him to the point where he can go like this. Yeah, right? Like, what's he doing? He's showing off his strength, and I'm, you know, I'm, I know he's using it, but I mean, you don't have strength just to show it off. You have strength to use it. Hello, somebody. You use it. Now, that principle, with that comes a very real danger. I mean, if you look around, MBT is a young church. Young people are strong people. Young people don't have to even plan ahead for a test. They're strong, they just pull an all-nighter. They don't even need a test to motivate them to pull in all-nighters. Sometimes they just pull all-nighters just for fun. FYI, the strength of youth does not last long. You cannot pay me to stay up all night. I'm <laughs> not gonna do it. Young men, you know, they're strong. They always wanna do something the hard way. Anytime I've, you know, we're having a work day or something and there's something that's gonna be hard, uh, I'll be like, ah, nobody's tough enough to tackle that. Immediately, there's like... 10 young guys like, I can do it, you know, and it's like, okay, good, I don't have to. Uh, they'll always do something the hard way so as to impress any young women that might be watching as to the measure of his strength. And so they're like, oh, that, you're gonna use a hand truck to move that refrigerator? That's, a, that's for sissies, here, put it on my back. What sound, what are you talking about? Oh, that's just my lower vertebrae crushing, I'm perfectly fine, I'm strong, put it on my back. And that's the problem with physical strength It tends to not be connected with any real intelligence. (laughs) But I'm telling you, unfortunately today, most Christians are stronger physically than they are spiritually. You know, if some of us were not, I mean, if we were not stronger physically than we were spiritually, we would be bedridden. Physically, we wouldn't be able to get out of bed weak. No power to perform even the weakest of tasks. And that's a shame. That's a shame, there's a danger in trusting in our own strength and determination in order to accomplish a mission that only God can accomplish through us. We're gonna have to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. John wrote in 1 John 2, verse 14, he said, I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, why? Because you are strong? Strong how? Well, here it is again. The word of God abideth in you, you've overcome the wicked one. So right there, there's the key to applying our power. It's the same as what we saw in terms of how salvation worked. Faith came by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We heard the gospel, we believed on it, and so by God's grace through faith, that's how we got saved. Well, that's how we live saved, by grace through faith. This is the key to strength over the enemy and the spiritual battle that we are all in. Quite frankly, this is why I love being your pastor here at MBT. We have a, we're a young church that is functioning as a tactical power plant for ministry. And as a young church with a lot of young people, you know, young people can just very easily put aside the cares and responsibilities of the world in order to accomplish a work for the ministry. They don't have a life yet, so to speak. They're not married and you know, they have a spouse, kids, mortgage, responsibilities, pets, you know, all of that. They're free to be about the business of serving the Lord, and, and this is what I would say to young people, be careful, you know, it's, right now you may not have much of a life, be careful the life that you sign up for, because it can entrap you. It can ensnare you, but, um, you know, yeah, man, there's, there's strength that comes with youth, and so, man, praise the Lord. We've got a, we've got a team of people Right? A, a church where the motto is, "Every member is a minister." And is a minister. So we've, it's like a team of oxen. We're all just yoked up together, pulling together the gospel for the glory of God in the world. And, and you know, Proverbs 14:4 4 says that where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but by much instr- but by much increase, much increase is by the strength of the ox. So why is the crib clean? Well, there's no oxen in there, there's no oxen in the pen, pooping up the pen, so it stays clean. Um, you know, as pastor, I end up cleaning up a lot of poopy. You know, sometimes you can just smell it. Somebody fouled the crib and so I gotta get a shovel and help people with relationships problem, re- relationship problems or bad decisions, bad decisions that catch up to people. Sometimes there's reproving, there's rebuking those who are in danger of being given over to a life of sin. But it's all, I mean it's all worth it. I've, I've seen what God can do through the strength of the ox. Uh, he is planning to plow the seed of the gospel into the world all around us because what else are we gonna do with our life? We've got a mission to accomplish. There's a work, there's an objective that has to take place. When we were in chapter one, I asked you about the following scenario. I said, hey, could, the, could we as a local church baptize disciple, right, when baptize and disciple 300 people this next year? We've never actually done that in a calendar year. Won 300 people to Christ, baptized them, discipled them. You know, most pastors, when they talk about things like this, they'll say each one, reach one. That's what we're gonna do this week, year, everybody. This year, every member of Midtown Baptist Temple, let's trust the Lord to win somebody to Christ, make a disciple, train them up. That has actually never happened in the history of pastors making those statements, and so I'm being realistic. This is a church of an average attendance of over 700 people. Realistically, could Midtown Baptist Temple win, baptize and train 300 people this next calendar year? We could if everybody was engaged in the work if everybody was engaged in the battle. We absolutely could. I don't know if you've noticed, but God is at work. We've gone to him in prayer. We've trusted him to enlarge our coast. We're at work, we're laboring in the field. We're trusting God to do abundantly above all we can ask or think. God is blessing. And so to those of you that are new to this church, um, man, you are, you are, able to take part and see the process of proving that God's taking us through as a local church. You're able to see how God proves himself faithful. He's proving us out to see if we'll be faithful to his vision. Now we want to reach the world with the gospel, but that's even not the ultimate objective, right? I mean we want to win and train disciples, but that's just the first step. Engaging in that ministry, God's using it to prove us out. To see if we will esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He's doing that to prove us out. It's not easy to serve the Lord. Not if you're gonna do it biblically. Why, because you can't do it in the flesh. Why, because you have to die to the will and the desires of the flesh. And it's hard to die daily. To take every day and place priority every day on the supreme right the, the 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 primacy of Christ in our life but in order to reach any goal you have to stay focused on it we'll have to pray for the lost we'll have to pray for our ministries we'll have to witness we'll have to invite people we'll have to give of our time we'll have to give of our resources to missions But if you're new to this church, I'm telling you, stick around and you're gonna see that God's raising up a ministry team, not just of people who are strong individuals in ministry, but this local church as members concentrated, or concentrated, consecrated to his mission, his mind and his will above all else. That's what God is doing in his people. He is conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful. You could be a part of that if you stick around, you will watch God mobilize this church to take the gospel to the world. So we'll help us, God, by His grace. That's what He's going to do. You'll see men and women lay aside personal plans for career, family. They'll lay it all aside in order to lay down their life on the field of ministry. You'll see that happen. Why? Well, because nothing else but the great and glorious gospel matters. And so you may be here this morning. You may be saying, well, how do I get involved? How do I join? How do I let God use me? How do I I use my strength to the glory of God? How do I be strong in His grace? Maybe you're saying, I'm weak. I don't feel like I have much at all to offer God. I feel powerless in life. I mean, how could He ever use me? How could He ever possibly use me? Well, first of all, realize that that qualifies you. Realize your strength has no value to our mighty God, you can be the strongest, most talented person in the world, and without the hand of God on your life, your strength of is no, of no consequence. We said this last week, I'll say it again, Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by your might, it's not by your power or ability, right? it's by his spirit. God has to work in and through us as his people. Paul understood that. You know, he was a physically weak man he had no strength or real power in the flesh and that was the key to the secret, you know, to, it, was the, it was the key to the secret of strength in his life. He, he reveals it in 2 Corinthians 12, check this out. He's basically, he says, you know, God used me to give the church two thirds of her New Testament and to keep me from letting that go to my head uh, I had a problem in the flesh. There was a, he called it a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he didn't like it. In verse eight, three times he asked the Lord to take it from him. And then he gives this great insight in verse nine. And God's response to him was this. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Man, I'm weak. How could God ever use me? Oh man, how could God not use you? How could he not use you? You're perfectly qualified for him to get all the glory. So Paul says, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, in my lack, right? In persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then am I strong. Again, we're a young church and with youth comes strength and vigor. And we want to use that to the glory of God, but we just can't count on that, right? We, can't, we, we can never forget that our strength is of no value, right, unless that strength is first po- focused on being strong in the grace of God. We need to be strong in prayer. We need to be strong in faith. God wants you to be a strong Christian. He wants you to develop spiritual muscle. like He, he wants you to develop spiritually uh, whenever we A few years back we went through the book of 1 Timothy and we actually went into some depth in looking at that. You can actually go and catch up on that uh, through the Sermon Finder. Go to uh, mbtkc.org and uh, click on the Sermon Finder and and you can find the series on 1 Timothy. But you know, if you're gonna be strong, you have to have proper nutrition, right? Like I mean, are you really gonna get strong eating tater chips? Like you might get an energy burst, but you're not gonna develop any real power living on potato chips. Job says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Uh, Maybe a first step for you is to sign up for the cost of discipleship class. Uh, Count the cost of what it means to be a disciple and then let us put somebody with you that can show you how to feast from the table of God's word. So you have to have good nutrition but then you also have to exercise. Uh, So you need to exercise spiritually. Hook up with us in the mission. Start serving with us. Start working out with us in the gem of God's ministry. You know, Ephesians 6.10, the command reads this way. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's not a suggestion. That's a command to believers. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. So join with us in the mission. Decide you're gonna cast off the cares of this world that so easily distract you and line up with us with God's word and begin pulling with us in the most noble cause the world has ever known. To take the gospel to the nations. What a privilege. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus and Lord. I wanna thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word together. Lord, I pray that each of us would recognize that we have to live like you made us. Uh, You, made us holy you made us your righteousness in christ positionally we are right with you nothing can change that but lord in the process of living right for you lord we still have to be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus and so lord i pray that you'd give us wisdom it's not through the works of righteousness that we can do and just like it's your, it's your mercy and grace that brings us to salvation, Lord, that's how we live saved. Uh, we live by your grace. And so Lord, help us to be a people of faith that take you at your word. Help us to be a people who, because you said it, that settles it, and so we're gonna submit to it. We're gonna obey it. We're gonna follow it. Because God, you, you, you must be glorified in and through our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, they don't know that they're saved. They don't know that they're on their way to heaven. They don't know that they have you as their father because Christ is their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you just strip away the excuses and show them that today is the day of salvation. Bind the enemy, open their eyes, and help them to see their need of Jesus. Lord, have your way with us. You're God. You deserve to have your way. You deserve to get what you want. And so, Lord, please take our lives for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.